This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stoppage Time. I'm your host, David Ordway, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful, the very talented Chris Basinger. How are we doing today, Chris? Uh, it's been a good night so far. Uh, nice and cool. Had some Chick-fil-A, 12 count, sponsor me, feeling pretty good. I also had Chick-fil-A, but I did not have a 12-count. I had three sandwiches with no pickles. I'm also joined today by Harrison. How are we doing today, Harrison? Uh, pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me back. It's, uh, it's been a good day. Did you have Chick-fil-A before? Uh, no, I had it for breakfast. What did you have? Yeah, what did you have? I had a Chick-fil-A biscuit meal, of course. Uh, there, you there you go. There you go. That's good. All right, enough with Chick-fil-A. Let's get into the football. Everton versus West Bromwich Albion. Everton beat West Brom 5-2. Dominic Calvert-Lewin had a hat trick. He is right now tied for the golden boot. James Rodriguez scored in the 45th, and Michael Keane also scored in the 54th. Now, West Brom did score first with Grady Diagana. Uh, Grady Diagana is the guy that they signed from West Ham. Is that correct? I that is, is correct. That is correct. And then uh, Kieran Gibbs had a red card um, in the 45th minute, and then uh, Mateus Pierre also scored in the 47th minute. Yeah, um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, of course, with the hat trick. Uh, Tanner was raving about him all last season. Uh, he wants us to know that he that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is now on track for 76 goals this season, uh, which <laughs> is a bit of a far cry. But uh, at this point of the season, who knows? Um yeah, Everton looked really good at this game. Had a really high XG at 4.16. West Brom uh, somehow managed to pull off two goals with a .32 uh, XG. Uh, yeah, Everton's dominating. Everton, now that they have a solid midfield, can really build up that attack. James Rodriguez um, is playing as a winger, but also drifting back. Tanner also said that they always needed a, a right-sided, a right winger with a left foot. Um, so that's exactly the player that they needed. Everton had 799 passes too, which is a big difference from where they were last season uh, under Angelotti or under Silva. Apologies. Um, so yeah, it, it was a good game for them. Yeah, they've looked an absolutely different side with the midfield now. They can finally just grab the, the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, somebody like James, who can just be the lock pick that you need, is an absolute key. That was a uh, the scrappiest hat trick I've probably seen in a while from Dominic Calvert Lewin, but a, a hat trick nonetheless. But with that midfield, this team is capable of so many things. And if you can keep Hamas high up the field in advanced positionings, he will find that pass. Or um, this past weekend, it was a perfect strike with his left foot just darting that into the bottom right corner. Yeah, Calvert Lewin did score that third goal with his back. So uh, I think it takes a, a certain amount of talent to be able to do that. So. Hey, hey man, a, a goal's a goal, and especially in the Premier League. And and what James Rodriguez went to Everton for was it twenty five million, which is yeah. in my opinion a steal. Uh, even even in the COVID market that we're in now, we're seeing prices kind of fluctuate, but still a steal. Leeds United beat Fulham four to three in a very very actually entertaining game. Uh, Costa scored two in the fifth and the fifty seventh. Click scored a 41st-minute uh, penalty, and Patrick Bamford scored again this week with a 50th-minute goal uh, for Fulham. Mitrovic had two penalties uh, in the 34th and 67th, and uh, De Cordova-Reed also scored in the 67th. Leeds finally got their first win, even though they probably should have won last week too at Chris. But, <laughs> but, but still, a, still not a, according to XG. No, I know that. I was, I'm just messing with you. But still, a, a, a win for Leeds. Yeah, I would have enjoyed watching that game, but I was at a Dunkin' Donuts parking lot for at least half of it. That's my fault. <laughs> That's my fault. I was hungry. Arsenal beat West Ham United two to one. Alexander Lacazette, Lacazette scored in the 25th minute, and Eddie Nkatia scored in the 85th. Now, West Ham did score a goal in the 45th minute, and it looked like it was going to be a draw. Mikel Antonio scored, but Dinketia got one through in the 85th. Yeah, Arsenal were struggling a bit in this game, I would say. They only had seven shots and um, three of them being on target, which um, uh, 
they they had a, a better game against Fulham. Uh, of course, Fulham are a bit of an easier opponent, although uh, we predicted on this show, some of us, that West Ham were going to go down this season. Um, but I, I think Arsenal with Aubameyang are going to stay pretty strong. Uh, and as long as Lacazette can keep uh, playing those balls to him, they're going to be all right. Yeah, I thought it was a really good performance um, from West Brom, honestly. I thought they kept a really good shape. They were very disciplined in their defensive tactics, but there were just a couple moments of brilliance. Then that's what it ha- that's what happens with these high-level squads. And just to point out one individual who didn't actually get on the score sheet in an assist or a goal, Okayo Saka. He is the most talented player on that roster right next to Aubameyang. The two passes that he opened the space up with for Aubameyang to slot the pass to Lacazette, and then the beautiful outside-of-the-foot pass to Danny Ceballos so he could square to Nketiah for the winning goal. I think he is an excellent talent, and it's only a matter of time before Gareth Southgate gives him a cap for England. Absolutely, and I, I hate to see Arsenal have such a wonderful youngster on their team, but he really <laughs> is outstanding. Newcastle United, Brighton at St. James's Park was a bad game for Newcastle. Brighton won three to nothing. Neil Mape scored in the fourth, a penalty uh, with a penalty in the seventh minute, and Aaron Connolly scored in the eighty-third. Bissoma uh, had a red card in the 89th, but there's a specific player that I know Harrison wants to uh, talk about in this game. We've got to touch on it again this week, just like we did last week. Tariq Lamptey is on track to be one of the most exciting single watches in the Premier League. The amount of energy that he, he plays with, he's willing to take on just about anybody, and that same energy is brought back when tracking back on that side of the field. He's got an excellent right foot to whip in crosses, and he's just got a, got that extra bit about him to where he is going to battle for 90 minutes with as much energy as anybody else on the field. And it's a real shame that he wasn't able to find a spot at Chelsea. I'm sure they're going to be um, pretty disappointed seeing how quickly he may climb the ladder around this league. And uh, all they got out of it was a, a sell-on clause. Yeah, great. given the way that he's playing uh, all the way up the pitch, there were times where I saw him counterattacking from his position. It's very unlikely that he would be counterattacking, but there were times where I saw him do it, and he was um, also fouled quite a number of times just because of his pace. He was able to get ahead um, of the defenders and get to the ball first, and I do not believe that the defenders were intentionally trying to foul him, but they were just so slow that they couldn't get to the ball on time. I think he might be on track to get more fouls against him than Jack Grealish this season if he manages to keep up this rate of speed. He reminds me of a young Kyle Walker. When Kyle Walker first was at Tottenham, he was a he would boom up the side of the pitch uh, on the right side and just keep running. He would be involved in the attack, and he reminds me just of him and just just a nineteen year old version or seventeen years old, uh, however old he is. Nineteen. A nineteen year old version of him. Aston Villa versus Sheffield United ended in one nothing to Aston Villa. That was today. Um, Goyo, I think that's how you say his last name, Ezri Kansas Goyo scored in the 63rd minute after a John Egan red card in the 12th, which is arguably uh, VAR has been very good this season. We must give a shout-out to it. But the red card in the 12th minute was an interesting one. Uh, Two players seem to be just battling for the ball, and uh, the ref called a red card. Uh, And and, and it, it, due to the rules, yes, it is a red card, but it just definitely could have been a yellow. Uh, it's a bit unfortunate for me because I played Egan in my fantasy squad this week, but um, I I believe it was fair. Uh, uh, it was similar to the uh, the foul that led to the red card in the Liverpool Chelsea game, which we'll touch on later. But yeah, he he was completely grabbing uh, his left arm, pulling him back. Uh, I know that there was a debate on if they were giving the red card because they thought that he would have gotten to the ball first before the keeper. Uh, and that's what caused the red card because it denied a goal-scoring opportunity. I believe that he would have gotten to the ball first just because of his pace, but he was being pulled back by his left arm so much. And it wasn't just like a quick tuck. He had his both of his arms wrapped around him. Um, I, I think the red card is fair. What's unfortunate, though, is that they ended up missing a penalty uh, a little while later on. Uh, I believe that was their only shot on target during the entire game. Um, and they did miss the penalty, but it was a 
one heck of a save. It was right? one heck of a save. Yeah, an excellent Martinez. start for Emmy mm-hmm. Martinez at uh, Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, really, really excellent. Wolves Manchester City was the other game today, and Manchester City went up two very early with the Kevin De Bruyne penalty, which was a very obvious penalty. And Phil Foden scored a goal in the 32nd. Wolves did get one back in the 78th minute with uh, Raul Jimenez, but Raheem Sterling or Gabriel Jesus finished it off in the 90th plus five. 3-1 Manchester City, their first game of the season away at Molyneux, but they still picked up where they left off last year. Yeah, watching the game, I would have thought that Wolves had a better shot, especially in that second half when they just had shot after shot after shot, but could not get it on target. Um, Wolves had 10 shots in this game, but only one on target during the entire thing. So uh, Jimenez, Neto, and Providence just could not get it on target, which was their biggest problem. They only had a .73 um, XG. And you, you would have thought, given the positions that they were in and the shots that they were taking, that they would have had a higher chance. But City just did what City does best, and they pressed high, won the ball back in those high positions. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, um, not at his best, but... Uh, City had been riddled with a lot of injuries. I believe Sergio Aguero is going to be out for at least two months. Uh, but it, it seems like the billion-dollar bench is going to be able to sustain them for some time. Yeah, I thought City looked really good out of the gates. I think they took advantage of Wolves with Wolves' very slow start, which they are known for. But City took advantage of that pretty quick. Um, I thought they had a good grip of the game for the first half. And if I had to single out a single player in their lineup, it would have been Phil Foden. Uh, of course, he is absolutely fantastic. The positions that he takes up, he is a perfect replacement for David Silva, and I even think he adds a little bit something extra because of his willingness to get into the box and find himself in goal-scoring positions like he did this afternoon. But he's constantly looking over his shoulder in those half spaces, looking to where he can play the next pass, and he's looking like... Uh, He's going to be a regular feature in Pep Guardiola's 11. And I also thought Nathan Ake looked rather settled for that being his first Premier League game with Manchester City in that brand new system. Something Chris and I will seem to argue about every day that we ever bring up Nathan Ake is that I believe Nathan Ake is a outstanding center back. Chris, on the other hand, thinks he's too short. Listen, granted, he is a good center back. He is a good center back for the Premier League. But is he a good center back for City? This is the problem. If you want to look at the teams who have beaten City over the past couple of seasons, most notably uh, one of their first big losses from a lesser team uh, two seasons ago, Rafa Benitez's um, Newcastle beat them uh, 2-1, to I believe. And the way that they did it with, I believe, under 30% possession was long balls over the top, consistently trying to run in behind, trying to score. If you want a defender that's going to fit in at City and be able to prevent those types of goals that are happening that are hurting their game the most, you need a bigger center back. Bigger center backs lead to winning more aerial duels. If you look at aerial duels over Europe's top five leagues over the past uh, season or so, um, I think Nathan Ake ranked around 230th in uh, percentage of aerial duels won. So in that sense... He is not a good fit for City. Koulibaly would have been a much better fit. Granted, he is also one of the best center backs in the world right now, uh, and he would have cost a lot more than Nathan Ake. Um, But I think he will fit in in the sense that he is a good center back, but in City's weakest moments, he's not going to be able to prevent those chances from happening. I just wanted to ask you two, did you guys notice towards the end of the game they looked labored? We were watching City play the ball to the corner, and I don't know how many times I've seen that since Guardiola has taken over at Manchester City in the last few seasons. They looked like a team that had not had the chance to become truly match fit. I think I think this is the first season. I think we've said this a lot in the past, but I think I really do believe this is the first season where kind of the title's wide open. You know, I think there are favorites such as Liverpool and Manchester City are definitely the favorites to win the title this year, and and they're in the sports betting and all that stuff. They're going to be the you know, the worst odds. But I think there are teams out there like City and like Liverpool who have performances that make you say, they didn't do that before. Just like the, you know, at the end of the year last year, I don't, I didn't count that because Liverpool was kind of, I think, turned off. You know, they won the title by a lot. They didn't really have to play towards the end, though they wanted to be Centurions. They, I mean, I don't think that was as important to them as, as some people believed it to be. But even with Manchester City, 
Liverpool, that Leeds game, the first game of the season was 4-3, and though Leeds is a really good team, we saw a little bit of a, you know, a, a flutter from Liverpool, like, hmm, are they the same team they were last year? And same with, with Manchester City. Are they the same team from years past? And, and that's a question we, that we won't find out until later in the season. When they play teams that you know cause them issues, usually that last year that was Wolves, but Wolves has lost some major components, such as uh, Daherty to Spurs and Diego Yota to Liverpool, uh, major, major components that have left the team that people will sit there and go, really, that's a major deal? It's like, yeah, it is. Like When you lose a player of that caliber, a starter, that's a big deal. I fully expect if... Uh, Diogo was still at Wolves. He would have been brought on in this type of game. Uh, just the way that they were struggling to create chances at the front, just the way that they were struggling and getting the ball on target, I fully expect that he would have come on and um, probably for potence and just been able to give extra, um, a more dynamic play. Uh, but going back to your point about are these teams going to be similar uh, as how they played in the past. We saw that with City last season. City had gotten um, 98 and over 100 points in the last two seasons. And last season, they, they dropped down to 84. They had some inconsistent performances. They had a lot of injuries, which brought them down. Um, but they also were able to play well in the games that they did You know, have all of their players. So I think especially with this season with the with the volume of games and the amount of muscle injuries that are going to occur because of over overplay and over exercise, uh, I do think it's going to be a struggle for these teams uh, to be able to turn on those consistent performances over the season. And we see that right now with the NFL, and, and I know we're a soccer podcast, but we see all these amazing players get injured in the first few weeks, and that's because they really didn't have a preseason, and all these games, everything's just kind of been thrown at them, and. I hope that the Premier League gave them enough time and gave them enough, you know, that they can push really hard. But we see teams having two games a week and then plus a game on the weekend. So we'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that occurs, uh, how that continues throughout the season. Crystal Palace, Manchester United at Old Trafford. Crystal Palace 3, Manchester United 1. Andros Townsend scored in the 7th minute. Wilfred Zaha had a 74th minute penalty and an 85th minute goal. The new signing for Manchester United, though, Donny van der Beek, did score in the 80th to make it a little bit more interesting. Uh, Harrison, this is your team, so what was your, uh, your what do you think about that performance? So I am on the side of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and I believe that fitness and lack of match sharpness was an absolutely huge factor. You could see it early on, Pogba having to take a couple extra touches on the ball and being stripped off of it in his own half. There were just uh, there were just clear moments of indecision and moments of just lack of focus for the team. And you could also feel the little bit of panic from the fans before the game when the 11 was announced, and you take a look at that right side of Timothy Fosu-Mensa and Daniel James, and you instantly think... You know, we already don't have a great outlet through the right side. If it was to be Aaron Wan-Bissaka and Mason Greenwood, those two, they just make it so much harder. They don't add uh, as much as those two who don't really add as much. Mason Greenwood's not an out-and-out winger, and Wan-Bissaka is still working on getting better going forward. So you have Fosu Mensa, who's going to keep playing at square, and you have Daniel James, who can only make some runs in behind and isn't quite as technically gifted. So... Overall, I thought there was a performance that they can learn from because they've got to get more match fit. And I just don't think that they should be as uh, concerned about bringing in so many players as they should be about getting match fit. And uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made a point to not blame the lack of signings. He was, he was subtle in his hints that they do need to make some moves, but he wasn't as outright as Luke Shaw, who spoke to TV2 after the game and basically said that you have to strengthen the squad, take a look around the league, and see how everyone else is improving, and that's what we need to do. I'm not sure Solskjaer will react very well to that. He was very upfront about how he wants the players to look themselves in the mirror than rather look at the board for a lack of signings. And yeah. another point is if you take a look on, at United Arena on Twitter, there was a map of the average position taken up by Manchester United and... Fosu Mensa and Daniel James, 
they're all on the left side of the field away from those two, and there was a clear favoritism on the left side, and Palace was able to overload and stop all of the attack. Yeah, I looked at that map too, and Dan James and Fosamensu were completely isolated on that right side, and I also looked at where the majority of Palace's attacks came from, and it broke up the, the, the field into the bottom third, the top third, and the middle third. And 50 52% of Palace's attacks came on Palace's left side, which is United's right side, meaning that since United were playing so much on United's left, it opened up that kind of space for Palace to try and attack um, on the left, and Schlupp and uh, Mitch pushed up to the midfield, um, which allowed uh, Ayu and Zaha to play really far up um, and get into those dangerous areas. Um, let me ask you about this. United did not have a lack of passing uh, in this game with 703 passes and did not have a lack of possession, having 76%. So what was the problem in creating chances and good chances from that? Because they had 17 shots but only four on target. Is it getting into the final third and playing those balls into the box, or is it more of a midfield problem? I thought it was a lack of sharpness. There was no energy about the passing. There was no purpose about the passing. And when you know that you're going to have to favor one side so heavily, Palace were able to counteract that so well. I, I'm, I'm making it sound like a really big screw-up for Manchester United, but Palace were set up excellently. They were very disciplined in their approach. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They knew exactly where they wanted to force United with the ball, and they were able to win it back in good positions and make them something of a counterattack that they knew would happen. They exploited the weakness of the spaces in between Lindelof and Fosu Mensa, and it was, uh, it was a brilliant game plan. But for United, the struggles up top, it's just uh, a lack of quick passing, um, not enough incisive passing, and there was really just no threat from that right side to keep them honest, uh, Palace honest. And uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial, I'm sure, will get off to uh, get off to a start here in a few matches, but they just uh, nobody looked at it. Um, one of the worst stats from the game that I saw was. Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial took on 19 duels, and they only won two of them. I think that points to just how how much they're lacking match fitness. Harrison, uh, so just something that I saw, and something I'm, I'm curious to see your opinion on, is was the missing of Juan Bissaka the most uh, the thing you could see most on the team? Like, if you think if you would have had him this game, do you think you would have won? Yes, I think there would have been a completely different outcome because there is a defensive awareness from Juan Basaka that Timothy Fosumensa does not possess. Fosumensa is an excellent athlete. I can absolutely understand why he would be at fullback over Brandon Williams, who may not even be fully fit. But Juan Basaka, he would have made a very big difference because he's an excellent one-on-one defender and would have been able to help Lindelof in those spaces where he would have been stretched out from the line. And I just don't think that Juan Bissaka would have allowed so much time for Zaha to get on the ball and take up these advanced positions. And, yeah, they, were, they just exploited that weakness. What did you think of uh, the debut of Donny van de Beek? Uh, I think I love that Donny van de Beek wants to be on the ball. I was really taken back that he was just like Bruno when he came in in January. He was begging to play one-twos. He's demanding the ball in those tight spaces. You can see the positions he's willing to take up. And immediately he came into the right side. He put them into the right side of the field. That was a, a clear difference, and they need that. And they're going to need that when Greenwood links back up with them if they don't sign anybody at right wing because Greenwood, like I said, is not an out-and-out winger. He is a more of a natural striker. So to have somebody to play combinations with on that side of the field, it's going to be crucial for them. It's going to be absolutely crucial because it was so clear as day what they were trying to do for a good 70 minutes there. Did uh, You know, you said earlier that the team looked a little sluggish. They don't look perfect. Is it? I know you're a big Ole fan, and I know you really like him as a manager, and I know there's some Manchester United fans who do not like him. But do you think if it if the manager of that game was for say Arteta, who is getting all this praise right now because you know Arsenal seemed to be playing a lot better and seemed to have things going, and he has a very similar squad to what he had when he came into the job. Do you think that? Ole should have taken care of that and, and said, you know what, this isn't working at halftime. I'm going to th- change everything or try to change tactics or try to be like make a, a sub, an impactful sub that changes the game. 
I think in terms of selection, the only thing that people could really argue, and for, well, first of all, I think it's unfair to say that Mikel Arteta would do anything different with this squad that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer currently has, which is is not very talented uh, on the bench. And the only mistake that you may be able to argue that he made was not starting Donny van de Beek, who is of quality enough to where, you know what, you may just have to cast him into the fire. And we, we've seen that backfire um, just as recently as the last two weeks. Kai Havertz just tossed in, and it doesn't look as easy. And Donny van de Beek, you could have taken that risk, and maybe he would have opened up the game a slight bit more on that right side and added a bit of variation to the team. But where would you have played him? Who would you have taken out? Oh, no, no. And I, I was just asking because some people have been very critical of how Shosar has managed. Um, and I know it's it's you have different – you have people that like managers. You have people that don't like managers. I know that – really well as a Tottenham fan. There are people who absolutely love Jose Mourinho, and there are people that absolutely hate him. Uh, I am one that loves him. I always try to support the manager the best I can. But Yeah, I believe they just need to back him with signings. I think it's too early to go off on the rail and say that it's, it's, it's uh, not going to go well and he's not a good enough manager. I think that he got good signings last year, made a drastically different difference, uh, drastic difference in the defense last year, conceding 22 or 23 less goals than the season before with his signings. So I think you need to give him some time with more signings, and we're going to have to give him a bit more of extended time due to the fact that the board is waiting so last minute to possibly make any acquisitions at all other than Van de Beek. You're getting like Tottenham, and, and, and you know it's interesting that Luke Shaw brought up bringing in signings because one of the people that Manchester United is heavily linked to is Alex Tellez uh, from Porto. I think he's from Porto. Yeah, from Porto, and you know he's a he's a um, in his prime left back, and it's interesting that Luke Shaw is saying bring in signings because he's almost a direct replacement for Luke Shaw. Uh, uh, almost, almost. I believe that there is something up Ole's sleeve, possibly with that signing. I have seen Luke Shaw deployed as a left-sided center back in a back three. Well, that would be so really there may be an opportunity to play them both with Telles being a, a wing back. Oh, that would be really interesting. Speaking of transfers. Breaking news. Tottenham Hotspur have signed, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, Gareth Bale and Sergio Reglion, while while Liverpool have signed Thiago Alcantara and the Wolves guy, who I just totally forgot his name. Thiago Jota. Thiago Jota. And I thought I was never, ever, ever going to say thank you for the, the breaking news. I love that. Of course, I played it twice. I know, I needed that. I needed that. <laughs> but I... Who would have thought the day has come where, speaking of, I mean, compared to last week where I thought the world was going to end with Spurs due to our one nothing defeat to Everton, uh, but boy, did every Spurs fan mood change on, uh, on Wednesday and Thursday last week when there was a lot of rumors coming out of a lot of uh, really, really well-renowned journalists that Gareth Bale and Sergio Reguilón were both going to come to Spurs from Real Madrid. Tottenham Hotspur won 5-2 to two in a Jose Mourinho offense, ladies and gentlemen. 5-2. to two. And those five goals came from, were all made by two players. Hungman Sun scored four goals. Harry Kane scored one goal, but Harry Kane also had four assists. He's the first English player to ever have four assists in a Premier League game. Danny Ings scored a 32nd goal, a 32nd minute goal. Uh, for Southampton, while he also got a 90th-minute pen. Uh, Tottenham did not look very good in the first half. Uh, they were actually tied 1-1, and they had one shot on target in the first half, and that shot on target was the Hungman Sun goal right before halftime. I'm going to attribute this game's win to Gareth Bale signing for the club. And I know Chris is laughing, but I don't care. How? How? And now I'll just listen. Yeah, because, be- because Gareth Bale is was the perfect signing for what was has been going on in the club. Everyone was angry with the uh with Daniel Levy for not buying more players. I mean, I know we bought Hoiberg and I know we bought Daugherty and I know Joe Hart came out of free, but none of them are game-changing players. Now they're both two of them are in our starting lineup. But to get the fans on the side of Tottenham of Daniel Levy to show ambition, which is something that Spurs fans have been asking about, and players, Harry Kane has even brought it up, ambition. He, he, he said he will stay at Spurs 
if they show ambition, if they show they want to go to the next level. And and what's a better way of doing that than one signing? I know I'm talking about a lot about Bale, but signing the reigning La Liga Team of the Year left back, Sergio Reguilón, and signing a club legend who is still in his prime, Gareth Bale. Uh, so Tottenham are showing a lot of ambition. Uh, the New England Patriots showed some ambition when they signed Cam Newton. Does that confirm that Harry Kane is going to go and be their kicker next season? I mean, I mean that'd be fine. Not, not next <laughs> season, but... but. Uh, yeah, going back to uh, that statement, do you think uh, part of the reason why they played so well is because they're afraid that Gareth Bale is going to come in and steal their positions on the pitch? I mean, no. Or, I just, or are they just encouraged to play well now that he's in the locker room and they need to impress him? I mean, we have we have two guys on the team, on the field. Actually, well, three. Uh, Hugo Lloris was there when Bale was there. Uh, Hugo Lloris was the start, uh, was one was a young goalkeeper. We had just signed him, and, and he was there. So he knows Gareth. He's met him before. Uh, ben Davies knows Gareth Bale very well from playing on the Welsh team with him, and they're, they're good friends. Harry Winks and Harry Kane have both been Tottenham Hotspur fans as they grew up. I know there's a picture out there of Harry Kane in an Arsenal kit from when he was like really young. He's still a Tottenham boy, and, and he's one of our own. And I think you bring a player like that into a club, you're going to see a bounce. It's kind of like a new manager bounce, and I really believe it was kind of like a new man. You, you want to play really well, and I think the second half out there, um, I mean, Harry Kane and Hungman's son are – they had a game. Uh, I mean, Chris, I think we watched it together. I don't know if Harrison, you were there too when we were watching that game. And yeah, we was, were there bright and early. It, bright and early. I got up at 5, mm-hmm. and and it was it, it was just worth the get-up. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy with the result, and I hope it can continue. Do, do you think um, the mentality change in the second half would have happened if Mourinho had not made – the substitution. So I think the substitution. Because Son had scored right before halftime. No, I, I don't think the subs. I don't think bringing Lo Celso on. Because mm-hmm. I think Lo Celso and Ndumbele, I First and foremost, Ndumbele leading up to that goal, the Madonna turn, Maradona turn that he had to play the ball out to the left and then uh, to Son as he was running up the field. Was was beautiful, mm-hmm. and that's what we want from our the, the, our record signing. Now, in saying that, Loselso coming in the second half, um, the team has played a lot more with Loselso than than Dumbelli. So you know you can expect different things from them. Um, I'm hoping at some point that we see them both on the field at the same time. Yeah, because I I saw a heat map of uh, the game and of the Tottenham players, and looking off that, and based off his performance during the game. And Dombele was the most creative midfielder in the first oh, yeah. half, by far. And looking at that heat map, um, I believe uh, Harry Winks and Hoiberg were occupying the same space. Yeah, They were right next to each other the entire game. So I thought it was very interesting that he takes off in Dombele, who's uh, being creative, being in that open space, and letting two players who are going to be right tight next to each other uh, in the midfield stay on. In the post-game press conference, mm-hmm. uh, Jose Mourinho stated that the plan was to take the Dumbele off at halftime due to the fact that he's not fully match fit, and also Lo Celso is not fully match fit. So the deal was to play them half on half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really glad that Dumbele got the start. It's been something that I've been waiting for. I know uh, we talk about Pepe all the time as being kind of a, you know, a bust. For seventy-two million, I mean, but Ndombele is the same kind of deal here. We spent seventy million on him, and he needs to. We need to see him be better. Um, now, right before Pochettino left, he did say Ndombele was going to take about two years to settle into the Premier League. So we're in the second year now. So hopefully it works out. I believe Pochettino was also under the belief that he he wouldn't he probably wouldn't have played him for a few months at least. Right? Oh no no no! And how Poch did it? Poch does things different than. Mm-hmm. Mourinho does. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Reglion's going to play next weekend against Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah, a boost from new signings aside, I think Tottenham were gifted a pretty gorgeous opportunity to play balls over the top with Southampton's extremely high line, which yeah. we saw the week before. And uh, take nothing away from that because Harry Kane, I mean, he is the best passer of the ball at that position. I mean, he's the best passing number nine probably in Europe. The array of passes that he can play, 
He's clever with the tight. He's clever with the ones in tight spaces. He's excellent with those whipping passes. I mean, you just saw brilliantly leading passes for Youngman Son to run onto the whole game. And I mean, he was playing them blindly because he knew that space was going to be there to be in behind, and Son was going to make that run every time. It's going to be interesting to see because Lucas Mora is going to not be in the starting lineup at least for most Premier League games anymore. Um, and Bale will go in. I mean, you're going to sign Gareth Bale. He's not going to set the bench. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Jamie Carricker said that uh, recently that he expects Kane to play more of as a false nine forward and have Hungman Son and Bale run down the outsides. Well, if you if you have that passing ability uh, that Harrison was talking about, then why not play him in that position? If you look at the game against Everton, he only had two shots for the entire game. They were struggling to get the ball to him. So, um, of course, in the classic Mourinho style, you'd have... Uh, going back to Chelsea, you would have Drogba up top and Frank Lampard would be that connection to him or send the ball to him uh, up front and he would just take it and run with it. And it looks like Son's whole idea for the entire game was those runs in behind because he was called offside a number of times in the first half uh, and Tottenham were just more clinical with it in the second half for him staying onside, Kane playing the ball in. Um, Although I, I will say, not to detract from how well Tottenham played during the game, uh, both teams had a 2.28 ERA. Uh, ERA? I, no, no, sorry. No. <laughs> Fine baseball. Oh no, excuse me. Uh, XG, XG. Both teams had a had a 2.28 XG. I think that's only because Tottenham uh, really started uh, being successful in those kinds of passes in the second half. Uh, they only had nine shots, six of them on target, but they were clinical with them every time. Son was always in space, um, so they weren't hard shots. They were a bit further out, but they weren't hard. Props to Tottenham. Yeah, we got a win, and I, I got that wrong in my predictions last week, but <laughs> I didn't know we were going to sign Bale. In the last game of the week, Liverpool-Chelsea. Liverpool won the game 2-0 with a brace from Sadio Mane. Um, Andreas Christensen did have a red card right before halftime, and it was a bad red card. Andreas Christensen just Turned into a linebacker. Yeah, just tackled. Uh, <laughs> it was it was bad. Yeah, uh, that did spawn from a beautiful pass by Jordan Henderson. Um, just being able to see Mane making that run uh, across the midfield all the way back. I, I believe Henderson has just gotten it from uh, Allison. Um, so it was a specta- spectacular cla- pass. Um, Mane would have gotten to it if he had not been... <laughs> Uh, snatched, um, but yeah, it, it was it was a good it was a good second half. Uh, Chelsea were very very good defensively uh, in the first half, not allowing a lot of space. Um, they did a good job at pressing the forwards. You would notice after each Liverpool pass, a different Chelsea player would go and man mark, and it, it was a lot of single pressing uh, with the the receiving player being pressed by a Chelsea player and then the two closest Chelsea players closing uh, the the gaps between them and then the second Liverpool player passes it, uh, that current defender would back off and block a passing lane. So Chelsea were very drilled in that for the first half, but of course after that red card there was only going to be uh, one result. Liverpool had 764 passes uh, in the game. If you look at average position, Seven Liverpool players in were in Chelsea's half for the average position. Not a single Chelsea player, not even Timo Werner, um, was in Liverpool's half for average position. Um, I Sadio Mane had two brilliant goals. Kepa had two awful mistakes. Um, but for me, the man of the match is definitely Fabinho. Fabinho was incredible this game. He's not usually center back, but he can play. Uh, in that position if necessary. I know um, uh, Joe Gomez and Joel Matip both took knocks, uh, and they'll be out for, I think, a couple of weeks. Um, So it looks like Fabinho is going to have to play in that center back role for a time. Jordan Henderson, if absolutely necessary, um, has played at center back before uh, for one or two games last season. Um, So he can cover there. but th- this was probably the last piece that Liverpool needed after selling Dejan Lovren 
Uh, and now Keanu Hoover has gone to Wolves for 10 million pounds, which is an outstanding fee um, for a 17, 18-year-old um, to go to Wolves for. But, uh, yeah, th- this was the position that Liverpool needed um, players in. Fabinho can fill in for it, but hopefully nothing happens between now and when those players can come back. But Fabinho's statistics for this game, four tackles, which is the most out of any Liverpool player, four interceptions, which was the most, 12 game possessions, which was the most, 86 successful passes, which was the most, and 101 touches, which was second. Um, he had Timo Werner in his pocket the entire game. Timo Werner made some great runs in, but Fabinho would just stand there. There was there was one where uh, Fabinho didn't even move. Werner tried to cut to the left, just poked his toe out, had the ball, started an attack. So, yeah, Fabinho man of the match for sure. Yeah, I just want to say, just to brush over a couple of things you went over, uh, the last time Fabinho and Van Dijk played as a partnership, they actually kept a clean sheet against Bayern Munich in the 2018-19 Champions League, which is uh, something pretty impressive that I saw before the game. Um, I also noticed that Chelsea completely changed how they've been playing against Liverpool the last few times, more than likely due to the lack of fitness of certain players like Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech. But Lampard made it a clear statement when he put out a lineup with a midfield of Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante that he was going to have guys that were going to work to cover space and make things difficult, which which he was successful in. Fabinho and uh, Wijnaldum and Cato were having issues linking up in that first half. And the first real spark from Liverpool came from, like you said, a gorgeous pass from Henderson. The ball was He had to dig the ball out from underneath him. It wasn't even a good position for him to, to pass the ball like that, and it was excellent. Um, and that really just that opened the game up for Liverpool, and what an amazing opportunity for Thiago to come in, 10 men, have a player like that who is going to be able to have so much time on the ball, which is just a crime. I mean, somebody that good with so much time and for space. For $30 million for a 29-year-old who 20. is just who just won the treble is an unbelievable mm-hmm. feat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the most popular tweet going around, uh, the most popular statistic going around Liverpool, li- Liverpool, Liverpool Twitter uh, is that uh, Thiago had 75 passes in the second half in 45 minutes, which is a record for a player who only played in one half uh, in the Premier League. And it was also 17 more passes than a single Chelsea player had over the course of the match. Um, some of those balls that he was playing, he was linking up with um, Alexander Arnold a lot on the right and Sadio Mane a lot on the left, uh, just being able to take the ball past the ball very, very quickly. He always knew where the ball was going to go, and he was very fast on it. He had great turns, uh, great work in the midfield. Um, yeah, Thiago, man, he's good. He's yeah, very- yeah, apologies for uh, completely... Uh, belittling the idea that we were ever going to sign Tiago uh, last yeah. week. I simply did not think that we would just because, not because he is a good player. We've all re- obviously seen over his time at Bayern and just in this one game um, how good he is. Um, it was just the amount of midfielders that we already had and the fact that Curtis Jones was now going to be on the bench uh, a lot more. I saw this as being the Curtis Jones stepping up and uh, coming in. We saw him subbed in against Leeds. Um, had a good number of passes uh, in those 20 minutes that he was on. Um, but, hey, if Jurgen Klopp goes inside as a player, I'm going to trust him on that. Absolutely, I would too. And, I mean, it's 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 amazing. We got through a, through a lot of games now, and we haven't had a draw. There's been no draws since the beginning of the season. No draws. There, there, were, there were 44 goals in this match week, which was the most out of any Premier League uh, week ever, forty four. Really? Yes. That's yeah. crazy because uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there. I'm looking at the the table currently, and there has not been one draw yet. And I know there's a few teams that have played one game, but it's amazing to get through one week without a draw, let alone two weeks. And um, and if you look at the table, Leicester City is in first now. Say that, but there's five teams tied for first place right now with six points: Leicester, Everton, Arsenal, Liverpool, Crystal Palace, and. That's it. That's fine. Crystal Palace for Europe. I want Real Madrid at Selhurst Park next season. Oh, that would be great. But, I mean, I, and, and back to Liverpool, though, but, I mean, Thiago's an outstanding signing. Diego Yota is also an outstanding signing. And, you know, I'm, 
you know, Leicester, you know, they're also in a really good team that, that have a lot of good players, which I think we just totally skipped over Leicester. We didn't talk about Leicester, did we? Well, we didn't have it on the list. No, I know. Do you want to talk I, about Leicester? I didn't even go over their, their what they scored or anything. I think I, we just skipped Leicester this week. So Apo- Leicester. Apologies to Leicester. Sorry, Leicester not, City fans. Not Leicester, as uh, David has learned. I've learned that now. So anyway, Leicester City beat Burnley 4-2. Uh, Harvey Barnes scored a 20th-minute goal. Chris Wood scored in the 10th for Burnley. Uh, Eric Peters had a 50th-minute own goal for Burnley, which Leicester was up. Uh, and then Leicester just kind of poured it on from there. J- James Justin, 61st-minute goal. Dennis Pratt, 79th-minute goal. And Burnley did have another one in the 73rd third from Jimmy Dunn. Uh, Timothy Castagne had another assist. He did win man of the match for this game, Timothy Castagne. Um, what a signing he has been for them at the at the right back or the left back position. I think he's playing left back right now. Um, or he might be playing right back because Ricardo Pereira is still out. But Leicester looks good again. Now let's see if they fall apart like they did last season at the end of the year. But, you know. Oh, uh, it wasn't at the end of the year. It was after the 4-0 loss to Liverpool. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that, that was um, – is that Boxing Day? December, uh, shortly. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. it was Boxing uh, I Day. They were it was second Day, yeah. for a while last year. Yeah, they were they were up there with uh, Liverpool and City. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember that they were in second. People were talking about them catching Liverpool, which was just never going to happen. Nobody was going to catch them. But I mean, we look at the, the standings right now, and it's a definitely. Now we have some really big games next week. You know, the Leicester plays Manchester City, and Arsenal and Liverpool play each other, and Crystal Palace play. Everton. So all the top five teams and Manchester City play each other next week. So things are going to change in the in the table. So Oh, yes. I, I think this will be one of the first weeks where we actually see um, a more accurate representation of how the table is going to look um, throughout the season uh, as long as Tottenham stay in, in, the, in the bottom half. Haha, <laughs> you're funny. So last week, Chris got two points in our predictions. Woo! Harrison got one because Manchester United lost, and I got one because Southampton lost to my team, uh, which I'm not upset about, and I'll take the loss on that one. Did, did you you bet against Tottenham? I bet against Tottenham. And I, I didn't know we were going to sign You bet him. for Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunate. I, I, it really is unfortunate because, you know, I I was really hoping I was going to get a you know, get my two points. Yeah, I hate yeah, to say I, that. I got Villa out of the way early. Come you on, did little, get Villa out of the there. way. You did. All right, so predictions for this upcoming week. Christopher. Yes, yes. I spent a lot of time looking at this. I think I spent about 20 minutes uh, looking at all these teams, all the previous games that they had played. Um, and my predictions for this week are... Uh, th- I I am quite certain in them because uh, the the two teams that I picked to lose against the two teams that I picked to win are the two teams that I definitely believe are going to get relegated this season. So I believe that Chelsea will beat West Brom. Um, they can have a good game against West Brom because I believe anyone can have a good game against yeah. West Brom. And <laughs> I also uh, I chose Aston Villa to beat. Fulham. Fulham did put on a, a bit of a performance. Granted, they had two penalties against Leeds. Leeds look like they're going to have uh, high-scoring games. They're on track to have every game be 4-3 for the rest of the season. Um, but yes, I, I picked Aston Villa over Fulham. I thought if there's any team, because I, I do believe Aston Villa are going to be struggling this season, they only managed to win by one after playing uh, 78 minutes against a team with 10 players. Um, and they did concede a penalty in that one. So if there's any team that I think Aston Villa can beat, yeah, I think it's going to be Fulham. Harrison? Uh, I have Southampton beating Burnley in uh, my first pick of the week. I think Southampton and Burnley both. No no wins for either team right now, but I think uh, more desperate for a win right now would be Ralph Hasenhutl and Danny Ings, and I think uh, Southampton will get the win there. And then my second pick of the weekend is fairly simple. Wolves-West Ham. It's almost impossible to pick West Ham, so I have Wolves. I'm going to be really boring this week, too. I'm picking Wolves over West Ham. Uh, I've been looking at that. I looked at that matchup, and that was the one matchup that really stuck out to me that that's a guaranteed winner for me. you know. Um, and if I wouldn't have picked Southampton last week, I probably would have picked them this week as well, but I already picked them, so I can't pick them again. 
I'm going to do something a little different, though. I'm going to take Fulham over Aston Villa. Oh. <laughs> Yikes. Our so, first duel. Our first duel. Um, and, I mean, this one Watch is, it end up being the first draw of the season. I know, right? And then nobody gets any points. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw, I think Fulham, I think Scott Parker can get something out of his team, and uh, I'll be rooting for him this weekend. You know, it's it, it, try to pick up the point I've lost on Chris, and I know Harry's <laughs> too. Uh, it's only the first week. I know it's only the first. It was a good week, though. You know, I mean, it was a good week. We, we almost very lost entertaining to, Spurs almost lost a locomotive Pelotive, and the champions of Bulgaria, I guess, are they? Are they? I, I don't know. We were losing. And then Sorry got, to all of our Bulgarian listeners. They, they, we know they you're got, out there. They got two red cards, Vlad, and. Then they lost. So, I don't know. I hate to see that. We play in Macedonia this week. Well, you, Spurs were down until, what, the 80th minute? Well, we, we let up a goal in like the 70-something. and then. Oh, okay. Do you guys have a Carabao Cup fixture and a Europa League fixture yeah, this week? Yeah, the Carabao Cup fixture against Leighton Orient got canceled because a bunch of their guys had COVID. Oh, okay. So, which sucks, and I hope they feel better. They're actually, Spurs were going to do something really cool because uh, Leighton Orient's one of their managers or players uh, had passed away last year. Uh, I forget his name. And Spurs were gonna actually what they were gonna do is they were gonna the players on the field were gonna wear their jersey, and then sign them, and then auction them off, and all the proceeds were gonna go to, I think, the organization that the guy helped start, mm. which is gonna be really cool. But it's a shame uh, the fixture got canceled. I hope Spurs still do something similar to that, where they sign jerseys and put them up for auction, because I think that'd be really cool. Oh, that would be great, yeah. But anyway, well, that's gonna do it for this week's episode of stoppage time uh join in next week we'll have a lot more fun uh, after especially after the liverpool arsenal game but i hope everyone has a good weekend thanks for listening to this week's episode of stoppage time you can follow us on instagram at stoppage time 91.1 for news updates and more be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on spotify apple music youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts